Welcome to Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall. But this morning we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. And uh, this is what Jesus said. He said, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, Jesus said, and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching believers how we are to live in this lost world. Believers are to live a different kind of life. Our language is to be different. Our lifestyle is to be different. Our values are to be different. Our conduct, our behavior is to be different from the lost world in which we're living in. Now, we don't try to be different in order to be saved. We are different because we have been saved. And in in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in this particular section of this sermon is giving us instructions on how we are to live a different kind of life. There is to be a distinctiveness about Christians in this lost world. Now, the world we live in is a morally corrupt world. And it is apparently getting worse every day. But you know, the world has always been morally corrupt. Even back to Noah's day, God destroyed the world of Noah's day because of its moral corruption and its spiritual rebellion. The same was true of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of its moral corruption. So the world we live in has always been a morally corrupt world. But it seems as if at least from how we observe the world, that the world is getting worse and worse each and every day. Maybe we have more exposure to that corruption than we've ever had had before. But the world we live in certainly is a morally corrupt world. In this passage, Jesus is teaching us as believers that we are not to be a part of the immorality of the world we're living in. We're to be different from this world. There is to be a distinctiveness about us. Now we come to this subject. I debated on preaching this today because, you know, we're in a different situation and we're in this building. And I thought about, you know, maybe the Lord wanted me to preach something different about encouragement or about hunting down thieves or something like that. But uh, the Lord laid on my heart, no, you know, the, 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 the venue may be different, the location may be different, but it's still, we need to look at these verses. I don't like preaching on this kind of subject. I can be very honest with you. I don't like preaching on stuff like this. Uh, I'll, I sometimes have a debate with the Lord when it comes to stuff like this. And I say, Lord, I don't want, I don't want to talk about this kind of stuff. And to be honest with you, I say, Lord, the people don't want to hear about this kind of stuff. 
they're exposed to this all week long. And then they come to church and they're going to hear about this. I don't want to talk about this. But then the Lord will often remind me that he's the boss and he's in charge. And this is in the Bible. And this is something that we do need to hear about. Now, you may say, well, I'm exempt from this because this no longer applies to me. Well, you still need to hear it uh, because how we live does make a a difference in the world we're living in. So I know it's when you come to subjects like this, you need to be delicate. You need to use discretion and how we talk about the subject that we're talking about today. But here's what I've discovered. If it's in the Bible, you need to talk about it. And if it's in the Bible, you need to preach it. And if it's in the Bible, we need to hear about it. And these are words in red. Did y'all notice that? This is Jesus. This is what Jesus has to say. And so if it's words in red, who am I to edit what I preach on when it comes to what Jesus has preached on? And so we're going to be honest about what the Bible has to tell about this subject. We need to tell it like it is. You need to hear it like it is. And so we need to understand what it is. But I do know it's important to use discretion and delicacy when you're dealing with subjects like this. Now, I know we don't have any children in the, in the, uh, you know, in the, in the congregation this morning. And uh, but sometimes I'll say we're going to be delicate because we have ears in the cornfield. Y'all know what that means, right? But we have full head of stocks of grain here this morning. So, uh, but we're still going to be delicate about it. First of all, I want us to look at the definition of adultery. (laughs) Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27. He said, you have heard of that it was said of of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Now, the Bible makes it very clear. It may be news to the society we're living in today. To be honest with you, it may be news to some churches that assemble today. But the Bible makes it very clear. Adultery is a sin. The seventh commandment of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 14, is repeated in Deuteronomy. You shall not commit adultery. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And so the Bible makes it very clear that adultery is a sin. Now, what is adultery? Well, here's how the Bible defines adultery. The Bible defines adultery as a married person who is physically intimate with someone who is not their spouse. That is adultery. God intends for the gift of physical intimacy to be expressed and experienced only within the confines of the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. By the way, The only kind of marriage that God sanctions is the marriage between a man and a woman. Anything else is not a marriage. I don't know what you may call it, but it's not a marriage. 
according to the Bible. So adultery is when one person who is married has a physical relationship. And I'm not going to use that three-letter word. I'm just not going to use it. I don't like to use it in the pulpit. Jesus didn't use it, so I'm not going to use it here. But it's when a married person has a physical relationship with someone to whom they are not married. Physical intimacy before marriage, the Bible calls fornication. Physical intimacy outside of marriage, the Bible calls adultery. Now these are violations of God's intent and God's design for the gift, the good gift of physical intimacy. They are violations of God's law. They are violations of the will of God. Fornication and adultery, they are sin. Now they're not the only sins, immoral sins, forms of immorality that are condemned in the Bible. But that's what fornication and adultery is. Despite the very best efforts of the society in which we live in to beautify, glamorize, and normalize adultery and fornication, in the eyes of God, adultery and fornication are sins which can never be justified. Now someone may ask, I don't care what God says about this. I'll live any way I want to live and I'll do any way I want to do. Why should I care about what God has to say about physical intimacy? I mean, why do we care? We can do anything we want to do. We can act any way we want to act, conduct ourselves in any way we want to conduct ourselves. Why do we care what God has to say? Well, let me give you three reasons why we should care. First of all, God is the creator. It is God. It is God who made mankind male and female. It is God himself who gave mankind the gift of physical intimacy. And by the way, God help that you have to make, have to make a statement like this in America today. By the way, there are only two genders. If you wonder which gender you are, then look at yourself in the mirror in your birthday suit. It's not hard to figure out. You will quickly discover what gender you are. And no matter how a person may try, no one can make themselves the other gender from the one which they were born. Isn't it a shame we have to say stuff like that in America? Isn't it a shame that we have to address stuff like that in America? Why should we care what God has to say about physical intimacy? God's the creator. Second of all, we should care about what God says about physical intimacy because God is the judge. One day, every single one of us will stand before the God who gave us life and we will give an account to God for how we lived our life for how we used or abused or respected or honored God's gift of physical intimacy. One day we will all stand before the Lord, saved included, 
at the issue of that judgment's not our salvation. That's been decided. But all of us are going to stand before the Lord and give an account for how we have lived our life. We should care what God has to say. He's the creator and he's the judge. And thirdly, we should care about what God says about physical intimacy because God is the rule giver. This is God's creation. And when God created the world, he embedded into the world certain moral rules, regulations for how the world is to be conducted. God sets the rules for human physical intimacy. And here's the thing. When a person respects and when a person obeys God's confines for physical intimacy, when a person lives within those confines, they will be blessed. But if a person says, I'm not going to listen to God, I'm going to do what I want to do. If I want to sleep around, I'm going to sleep around. If, I'm going to, if I want to do this, I'm going to do that. If you choose to ignore God's law and God's intention for physical intimacy, you will suffer and you will pay a price. We can laugh at God, ignore God's spiritual and moral laws. These laws are good. They are for our good. We can laugh at them. We can ignore them all we want to. But here's the bottom line. God is the rule maker. And if you ignore or obey, disobey God's moral and spiritual laws, you will pay a price. The price you pay may not be immediate. It may not be immediately seen, felt, or experienced. But make no mistake. Unless the person who breaks God's rules for physical intimacy comes to God confesses their sin, seeks his forgiveness, a price will be paid for that sin in this life and in eternity. Now, in these verses, Jesus teaches this, teaches us that not only does God hold us responsible for the physical act of adultery or fornication, he also holds us responsible for lustful and adulterous thoughts which are the first step toward adultery. Now, why is that a sin? Why does Jesus speak to that? Saying, you have heard of old, here's the letter of the law, but he says, I want to tell you something. There's the spirit of this law as well, and God will not only hold you responsible for that sin, he'll also hold you responsible for lustful and adulterous thoughts that you might have that will lead to adultery. Now, why in the world... Is that a sin? Well, here's the bottom line for that. To look at someone in lust, to linger and to look at someone in lust, is to see that person not as a person, not as a human being, but as an object, an object to take and to use for one's selfish desires. And so Jesus said, guard your thoughts. Now, the physical act of doing it may have greater consequences, but Jesus even said that the spirit of this law is God will even hold you responsible for adulterous thoughts, lustful thoughts, and desires. This is why the viewing of pornography, which is a tremendous problem in America, 
is not a harmless activity. It is a dangerous thing. It is an insidious sin that Satan will use to warp the mind, to corrupt the heart, to kill the spirit, to destroy relationships and alienate a person from God. So that's, that's the definition of adultery. Are y'all having fun yet? <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I talk with the Lord often and I say, Lord, I don't want to talk about this. I want to talk about joy and happiness in heaven. I want to talk about all the good stuff. But you know, sometimes you have to deal with what the Bible says to deal with, right? Now, see, here's what's happening in America. There, there are many pulpits now that are editing the Word of God and saying there's certain areas of the Bible that are off limits because it might offend somebody. Or you might, you know, if you preach that, you might get tagged as, as one of them old right-wing fundamentalist Bible-thumping things and people may be turned away from it. Well, you know more people left Jesus than followed Jesus during his ministry. My charge is to preach the Word of God, the whole counsel of God, be it comfortable or uncomfortable. So that's the definition of adultery. Second of all, I want us to look at the destruction of adultery. Now, if you want to hear a lot in the Bible about the destructive nature of adultery, just turn to the book of Proverbs. Here's one particular place in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 6, 27 through 32. The writer of Proverbs asks a series of questions, and I'll answer them as he asks them. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can you take fire into your lap and you not be burned? The answer is no. Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? The answer is no. So is he who goes to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. Literally, in the original language, and you know I love the original words, in the original language, lacks understanding translates to whoever commits adultery is stupid and a moron. That's literally the interpretation of that. He who does so destroys his own soul. Speaks of the destruction of adultery. Now God has embedded into his, his universe certain moral laws. These laws are reflective of the holy nature and character of God. These laws are good. You know, if you have some cattle and you want to keep them in the pasture, you put a fence around that pasture. Why do you do that, you mean old thing? Why don't you give those cows the freedom just to roam? Why are you setting limits for those cows? How dare you do that? Or you're setting limits for the cows for their protection. So they don't wander off and get hit by a car. And they don't wander off into somebody else's property. You set limits for them. As long as they are in, within those limits, they are blessed. They got all the grass they need to eat. They got it all. But if somehow they can break through that fence, then they are in danger. When we lived in Thomaston, we lived next door to a cattle pasture. It was a huge thing. Acres and acres of it. I can't tell you how many mornings I would get up, go outside, and cows would have their heads 
pressed through the fence eating grass out of my yard. Now they had acres and acres of grass in that pasture. But for some reason, they were not satisfied with that. They wanted to eat my grass. And my grass didn't look better than that grass. But they wanted to break the limits. Yeah, you can tell God, go take a hike. This is my body and my choice. I can do what I want to with it. I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. I'm going to live the way that I want to live. You can tell God that. You can go outside the limits that he has set. But if you do, you will pay a price. Because it's God who set the laws. It's God who's the rule giver. And the laws of God are good. As long as you live within the confines of those laws, those laws are guardrails for life. As long as you live within the confines of those laws, you will be blessed. The Bible says and experience confirms that if you violate God's law and commit adultery and involve yourself in sexual immorality, you will pay a price. may not be immediate. The next morning, you may not die. The next morning, something may not fall out of heaven and hit you in the head. The next morning may be just like every other morning, but eventually one of these days, there will be a price to pay. Here's the danger of adultery. Adultery will destroy you. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual immorality. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians who lived in a most immoral city. He said, don't play around with it. Don't think you can handle it. Don't think it will have no effect on you. When you see sexual immorality, run. It's the word for fugitive. Run. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Adultery and sexual immorality will eventually destroy a person. Physically, emotionally. Mentally and spiritually. It is a dangerous sin. Second of all, adultery will destroy your marriage and your home. You see, adultery is a sin that never just affects two people. Adultery is a sin that never affects just two people. Adultery will destroy marriage. Adultery has a devastating effect on innocent the innocent children, the innocent mate in a marriage. In Matthew 5, 29 and 30, Jesus talks about a scandal. The word for sin in Matthew 5, 5, 29 and 30 is the Greek word scandalon, from which we get our word scandal. Adultery scandalizes the adulterer. It also scandalizes their family as well, the families as well. As a pastor, I've had to deal with this in counseling. I've seen the destructive work of adultery and what it has done to innocent people. Adultery will also destroy a nation. Say, what? What I do in my life can have a destructive effect on a nation. Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalts a nation 
Sin is a disgrace to any people. A common and key ingredient in the downfall downfall of every great civilization has been the rise and the acceptance of sexual immorality and sexual perversion. Look at the downfall of the great Roman Empire. The Roman Empire failed not because of an advance by a mighty army that came against it. The Roman Empire failed because of internal decay. A moral decay, moral decline. Adultery will destroy a nation. Adultery is destructive because it's a sin against the Lord. When God gave the Ten Commandments, He thundered from Sinai. Some time ago I heard a preacher talk about God whispers about sexual sin in the Bible. He whispers. No. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he thundered from Sinai. Exodus 20, 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. When David confessed his sin of adultery with Bathsheba, he said in Psalm 51, 4, against thee, God, against you, thee only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. David had sinned against Bathsheba. He had sinned against her husband. He had sinned against Israel. He had sinned against his kingdom. But most importantly, David said, when I committed that sin, I had sinned against God. To commit adultery is to disobey God and to treat him with contempt. It is to shake a rebellious fist in the face of God and say, I don't care what you've said in your supposed word. I will do what I want to do. I will live the way I want to live. There is no excuse and there is no justification for fornication or adultery. Finally, this is a sin that Christians can and do commit. When Christians wander away from the Lord, when Christians forsake following the Lord as they should, Satan loves to get Christians caught up in sin like this. He especially targets pastors and ministers. Satan loves to get Christians caught up in sin like this. David was a man after God's own heart. (laughs) And he fell into this sin with Bathsheba. When Christians commit this sin, it's a terrible thing in their life. It's a terrible thing in their family. It also affects their church. We are all one body. When one person of the body does something, it affects the entire church. It's not a private thing. It's not a thing that nobody else has any business knowing about or dealing with. No. When one member sins, it affects the entire church, and the entire church has to deal with it. When David sinned with Bathsheba, it didn't just affect him. It affected his kingdom. It went far beyond what he had done. And so adultery is destructive. Now today, it's celebrated. It's sung about. It's portrayed on television and in movies. And our young people are being exposed to it continually, that this is natural, this is normal. You need to experiment with this. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Everybody's doing it. Somebody needs to stand somewhere, be it a pulpit or a sidewalk, and say, This is a 
sin against God. And they need to hear it. That God has given us the gift of physical intimacy. But it is to be confined to the marriage relationship. Enjoyed within that special relationship. One man, one woman. Who are united together for life. It's a beautiful thing that God has given us. But it's to be confined to that. And so finally Jesus also. And not only does he speaks of the definition of adultery and the destruction of adultery. I want us to see the defense against adultery. Listen again to what Jesus said. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That's tough, isn't it? Cast it from you. It is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you. It is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, in these verses, Jesus is using hyperbole, okay? Hyperbole is a, is a grammatical device. It is a statement of extreme exaggeration that is not intended to be taken literally. You know? We use hyperbole all the time. I used it yesterday. Miss Harris cooked me some squash. I said, man, that squash is so good that it makes me want to jump over the moon. Now, I can't jump over the moon. That's hyperbole. But you get the drift. It's an extreme statement, an extreme exaggeration, not to be taken literally. To stress the importance of staying away from and removing anything in our life that may tempt us to immorality or adultery. Jesus said, if there's something in your life, if there's someone in your life that is causing you to consider adultery, that is influencing you to immorality, then you need to get away from that as fast as you can. You need to remove it. You need to cut it out of your life. If you're watching things on television that are tempting you to adultery and immorality, or that celebrates such, you need to cut it out. You don't need to watch it. There's a lot of stuff on TV you can watch different from that. Watch the cartoon channel if you have to. But you still got to watch some of that, I guess. If you're reading things, if you're looking at things that tempt you to immorality, Jesus says you need to stop it. You need to get away from it. You say, a lot of people think, well, I can go do this and I can, you know, it won't affect me. Yes, it will affect you. Watching it, reading it will affect you. It will affect your mind. It will affect your heart. Philippians 4 eight, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Whatsoever things that are virtuous, whatsoever things that can be, that are praiseworthy, think on these things. Don't give your mind to garbage and trash. Give your mind to that which will build you up and draw you closer to the Lord. Now I watch the Braves and that don't draw me closer to the Lord. That's a neutral thing, you know? It, it's a neutral thing. 
Now, last year when they were trying to go to the World Series, I did pray a lot during the games. Oh, Lord, let him strike out or something like that, you know. Those are neutral things. But don't concentrate. Don't look at stuff that's going to tempt you or cause you to sin in this way. If you're going to places on the Internet that you should not go to, you need to stop it. If you're developing a relationship with someone at work, someone at school, you know is leading to adultery, you need to flee fornication. You need to avoid that person at all costs. See, this is what Jesus is saying. He's not saying literally cut off your arm or pluck out your eye. He's saying if there's anything that will lead you to this sin, get it out of your life. Get rid of it. He uses extreme hyperbole to stress the seriousness of getting away from this so that it will not happen in our life. If you're playing around with things, situations, relationships that are attempting you to immorality or adultery, you're asking for trouble. So Jesus says, get away with it. And the Bible says, if you don't cut those things out of your life, <laughs> then you're stupid. Proverbs 6.32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who commits adultery is a moron, literally. That's what it means. Now, often people will use the claim of love to justify adultery. They say, well, we love one another. We know what God says, but. I've, how many times have I heard that? We know what the Bible says, but. And then they go on to justify doing that which the Bible says you shouldn't do. As if they are the exception. There are no exceptions to this rule. People will claim, well, we just love one another. Adultery is not an act of love. Claiming to be in love is no excuse to commit adultery or fornication. A person who truly loves another person will not want to cause that person the harm that is done by adultery. They will not want to, to cause that person and influence that person and involve them in a sin that God says he will judge. If you love somebody, you want to protect them. Here's the bottom line. Poor old brother Chris, he has to give you the bottom line. Most often adultery is motivated by lust and not love. True love is giving. True love is protective of the person you love. Lust is selfish. It is destructive. Lust uses another person as an object to be used no matter the cost or the consequence. And so you can't use the excuse, well, we're in love for this. No, there is no excuse. And there is no justification for the sin of adultery. But you know, God is a God of grace. Thank God he's a God of grace. Amen? Amen. Because if he was not a God of grace, we'd all be sunk this morning. We'd all be gone. You may not have committed the sin of adultery, but you committed some kind of sin. And if God was not a God of grace, we'd all be lost. And we'd all be done this morning. The good news is God will forgive the sin of adultery. He's a forgiving God. 
He'll forgive a person only if they're truly repentant. Only if they come to God, just like David did. Oh, Nathan the prophet, bless his heart. See how, see the sticky wickets preachers get into? The Lord said, go tell Nathan, he's done, you know, he's committed this sin with Bathsheba. Nathan said, no, I don't think I want to do that. He's the king, Lord, don't you remember that? But the, Nathan the preacher, he had to go do it, stuck his bony finger in the face of David, put it right next to his nose and said, you are the man, you have done this. And what did David do? He repented. He said, yeah, I did do this. I have sinned against God. If a person is truly repentant, truly sorry, they seek forgiveness from God through Christ, he will forgive. He will forgive even the sin of adultery. And so if that's an issue in your life, God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of love. See, here's what I found out about God, and it's a glorious truth. God would much rather forgive than condemn. God is more interested in what you can be than what you have been. Amen? Amen. God is more interested in redeeming you and saving you for what you can be than condemning you for what you have been. Our God is a good God. A loving, kind, gracious God. Yes, adultery is a sin, but it's not a sin that God will not forgive. I'm so glad God's a forgiving God. If He was not, I'd be lost. Let me encourage you today, don't commit the sin of adultery. You can't unscramble an egg. You can't unpick a rose. You can be forgiven of the sin of adultery, but... Unfortunately, many of the consequences of the action will always be with you. David was forgiven, but he lived with the consequences of that action for the rest of his earthly life. Yeah, you can be forgiven. But that, you know, a murderer can be forgiven in jail, but they don't get out of jail. They still have to suffer the consequences of the action. God will forgive us, but there are some things that you still have to suffer the consequences of those actions. And God will help you with that. He's a God of grace. Just don't do it. Don't commit adultery. Fight the good fight. Fight for purity in your heart and life. See, Jesus, what Jesus is teaching us is that, yes, this is the way the world is, but you're not to be like the world. You're to be different from the world. There's to be a differentness, a, a differentness about you, a distinctiveness about you. And the world won't like it. You know, they'll call you goody tissues and... They'll call you all kind of names and all that kind of stuff. But that's all right. We know we're right. And we know that where we're going. And, and we, we know that we're living the way that God would have us to live. That's all right. Live the way God would have us to live. Now today, if you need Christ as your Savior, well, I'm so glad I'm saved today. <laughs> I got up this morning, looked in the mirror. I said, hey, good looking. I get up off the alley and say, I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm so glad that Christ has forgiven me of my sin. And he saved me and has redeemed me and he's given me a purpose in life. And he's, he's given me a goal in life and a desire to love him and live for him. And God can save you as well.
What must I do to be saved? I was reading that this week, that old Philippian jailer. He brought Paul and Silas out of the jail. And the first thing he says is, it was, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means to have your sins forgiven. It means to have a new life. It means to have God coming into your life and changing you and making you into a new person. It means having a different life for the rest of your life in this world and a home in heaven. It means you're a child of God. It means that you've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. Oh, it means so much. And God will save anybody of anything. Anybody of anything. Isn't that amazing? Anybody of anything, if they will just come to him in repentance and faith. Thank y'all for listening to this hard sermon. I didn't like it no more than y'all did. But it's the truth. Amen? No one can deny that it is the truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you for joining us for our program today. Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall is a presentation of Hall Sports Communications. To contact us, you can send an email to chrishall71 at hotmail.com. That's chrishall71 at hotmail.com. Be sure to join us for our next program. Until then, stay safe and may God bless you.